If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Hi, Patrice. Hello, hello. I'm back. Yay. (laughs) You gave us your update last week, so now you don't have to update us on your trip. I know. I did that from the trip. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. I'm so jealous. Mm -hmm. So good. Let's go now. Yes. (laughs) Let's just just don't tell anybody. Throws down headphones. (laughs) End of show. (laughs) Bye, guys. Here's peel out. <laughs> Cicada tweet. Tweet. Oh, <laughs> cicadas tweet like that. Y'all been grossing me out with those um things on the web me. on the Facebook <laughs> eating oh, no. cicadas. Actually, I'm not the one who posts the majority of those. I would like to share that the majority of other people in this room have posted more of those than me. And fans. Gross. No, I saw the video of uh the puppy eating the cicada mm-hmm. and realized that we have to have talked about cicadas before because she has posted that video before to the fan group i swear either that or she showed it to me personally but i've seen that video before of the puppy against the cicada okay so it has to have happened sometime i posted that that one somebody else well posted. no there was one that was from their actual phone like oh. of their own dog oh oh okay <laughs> yes yes chase that, and michelle yeah that Oh, yes. Was it, um, was it Michelle? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Hi, Michelle. Hi. All nice right. video. Nice <laughs> video. So the only thing, oh God, first of all, I apologize for the sound on last episode. We're going to fix it if it's not already fixed and uploaded. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then good. Just pay no attention <laughs> to this message. No attention to this message. I don't, I mean, I, I, I do have an annoying laugh, but it's not usually like It's, it's not going to run you off the road. So. <laughs> Coming through my bows, I was like. <laughs> uh, one thing that I did want to talk about uh i found so you know this whole pandemic thing everybody's watched all of the netflix yeah all of the hulu all of the netflix. all of the things mm-hmm. and i came across this article and it was and i'm gonna have to i'll find it and i'll post it but it's basically this girl saying look you know we've done all the netflix we've done all the hulu we've done all the amazon prime but you need to try out Apple TV. Mm, and you're yeah. just like, and you're thinking, fuck, another like right? subscription. I'm like subscribed out. I seriously have no money because of subscriptions. Yep. And I just need to go through and just cancel all of them. Not because I don't love them, but it's just like, there's too much. Mm-hmm. You know, three things, okay. <laughs> Four things. I, I don't watch that much TV. Mm-hmm. But she, the reason she said, to watch Apple TV is because of the show Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you watched Ted Lasso? No, but I would know about it because I listen to fake doctors, real friends and it's Bill Lawrence who did scrubs. It's okay. his show. It's his He's show. the showrunner. Yes. Is it, so is it comedy? Okay. So it is the 
It's Jason Sudeikis. Yes, yes. It's the best feel I'm good like movie or, or episodes uh, series out there. Oh. Totally enjoyed it. It's about soccer. It's on my list. Yeah. Mm. Um, and Chad and I binged watched it like the first night. Like we watched the whole thing. Um, it is that good. I um, think I need that in my life. It is because it's it's not about nasty. It's it's not one of those things where you know you have a bunch of nasty people. I mean, there are some nasty people on there being mean to each other, but. It's just a really good, feel-good, you know, series that it's, you know, she she wrote an article on it. It's like you need, she's like, she's been telling people about this, you know, series. Ted Lasso, nobody's watched it, and it's not getting enough credit. It because, got a, a Golden Globe, though. It did win. Right. Oh, that's good. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, nobody's going to watch it because nobody's going to pay for Apple for TV. Apple TV, exactly. And she's like, I've had to give out my Apple, you know, TV <laughs> password to, like, nine different people just to get them to watch, you yeah. know, this, <laughs> you know, thing. And I'll share with y'all. Yeah, I have mm. it. Okay. Randy watched it. Oh yeah, he did. It, yeah, we listened to fake doctors, real friends, oh, and talk yeah, about that's it. Right. <laughs> and and it was so it was really good. I highly recommend it. So if you can afford an extra subscription, even I think they have like a seven day trial period where you like after that you can just cancel if you remember to cancel, which I never remember to cancel. Um, it's definitely will get you out of a funk. Another um, Apple TV only that we watched is Mystic Quest. Hmm. which is about uh, gamers. It's like about uh, gameplay. It's like it's game company with like the programmers and the creatives. And if you're like really big into, um, uh, you know, MM or whatever it's called, I forget. I'm a gamer and I don't even know what it's called. (laughs) But if you're like really big into it, like even more so than me, or maybe even not, but you appreciate the culture, it is like one of, you know, the most, you're like, yeah, this could really happen. But it's really funny. And I we totally enjoyed it. And we watched the whole series there too. It was really good. And it's really interesting too, because um, the series, I think both series must have hit the pandemic Mm -hmm. because after a point there's like mask people Mm. are like, you know, um, and so it's interesting to see how they dealt with it. Um, especially the mystic quest, which was really cool. And let's see another, uh, kind of happy, I wrote down, like I came across these things. I was like, you know, I am going to be proactive and I'm going to write these down Yay! and I'm going to tell people about them happy because stuff. it's worth like, you know, spread the love, sp- spreading the love, spreading the cheer, nothing dark, <laughs> um, and miserable. Uh, there is a, uh, Instagram that I follow that's called, omg.me.obvious.af <laughs> and I I love this because he posts or they they post memes and then they go in and if you don't understand what's going on or even if you do understand they literally 
spell out what the meme says or what, you know, why it's funny. And they do so, which I totally appreciate. Explain me the funny. It, it, It totally explains the funny. And it's not funny, like, when you read it, you know, because it's being, like, Captain Obvious. You know, when somebody, like, if your mom doesn't get a joke and you have to, like, okay, this is funny and this is why it's funny. But they go through and every meme, they do that, which I totally appreciate that because, um, you know, having, uh, you know, a son on the spectrum, a lot of times he doesn't get the meanings behind stuff. And it seems like this was perfectly for those people who may not get like nuances or get any kind of like cultural reference uh, that a lot of like the popular memes, you know, this explains it perfect. And I love it. So if you, you know, I'm following it now. I'm reading them. I feel funny. like Coco secretly runs this. Yeah, she probably does. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So that's um, omg.me.obvious.af. Follow it. You know, I feel like with TV stuff, the pandemic may have turned me into like my grandmother or something. You know, it's like I go through go through periods where just you want to just like binge watch, you know, horrifyingly gruesome or British crime dramas or some shit. And then you're just so tired of everything that all you want to watch is like fucking seventh heaven. You know, it's like, just give me wholesome content where nothing bad can (laughs) ever happen. Right. Actually, you know, everybody has crisis in their show. Right. But uh, like, I'm obsessed with modern family now. Like I've rewatched almost the entire series of modern family and Coco started watching it with me and now she won't let me watch it without her. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, and King of the Hill. And like, I've oh, said these things before, yeah. like this, I just go back to these like old Ted ones Lasso is perfect. me feel okay. Yeah. <laughs> Ted Lasso. It's all okay. Tell and I, was it Jason Sudeikis? Sudeikis. Sudeikis. Yeah, Jason Sudeikis. He was on um, SNL. He's not my favorite person. Like I, when, I love him. I'm doing the de- doing okay. like motions. There's the SNL skit. What's up with that? Where Keenan Thompson is like oh, supposed yes, to have all these yes, guests. Yes. Ooh wee. Yeah. What's up with that? But Jason Sudeikis will just come in in a red tracksuit and be like the running man, <laughs> and then walk off the stage. I mean, it's the fun. I don't know why. Every time I see that, I die laughing. Die laughing. You should totally watch this. Because he, he's like this American, and he and you know over in the UK running um, a soccer, and I'm not going to spoil it, but it's it's heartwarming. He does a fantastic job. He hits all of the nuances. I'm, I said that word twice. I mm-hmm. realize that um, he hits all of the subtleties of everything that he's going through and of his personality. It's just so good. It's so good. You've, you've got to watch it. I totally have respect for him now after mm-hmm. the show. Um, wasn't a huge fan at all, but I am totally a fan now. All right. And then the last thing I want to bring up, I'm sorry, it's the Patrice show. Da, Go for da, it, da, man. Da, I got da, nothing da, to say. Do it. Do it. Um, and it, it's all about watching. This is me watching TV. <laughs> so we watched... <laughs> We watched the nighttime, and I think this may have been also on Apple TV. I'm not sure. Maybe Disney. I'm not sure. One of those other subscriptions. But this is where they record um, animals at night, but they've got, like, the technology where the night becomes day. So you can see, like, everything very clearly at night, like, watch the lions hunt and all the things happening at night, you know, when different animals come out. Um, 
And one of the things, because we've done, you know, the Kentucky gremlins uh, or gray man or green men, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. And we talked about how, you know, baby owls look like aliens and Mm -hmm. been like mistaken for aliens. And one of the things about on a full moon, and since we just had like the super flower blood moon. Plus eclipse, plus plus eclipse, plus all the things, which I couldn't see the moon. Plus ultra. I went out and yeah, plus ultra. I couldn't see it at all. So I was kind of bummed about that. But at night, and uh, this, I think it was like an eagle owl will not fly at night to like dive down because the moon is too bright and it shows a shadow and it alerts the things on the ground. So what he does is he will jump on the ground and he will run. Oh my God. So this, I was like watching like (laughs) this owl, like running after these insects to like eat. And it was like the most, I was like, well, yeah, there's our aliens. Yeah. They are like some scary, weird acting motherfuckers, <laughs> but I love owls. They're just incredible. Oh my God. That's funny. So anyway, I think that would, I would get like, I would get chill bumps. I think just from watching it, that all it, my hair would stand up. Yeah. It's just like, man, I wish, I mean, honestly, seriously, like all I've been watching is modern family. There was a while where I was writing down things that I should talk about to watch, but I think the last one I wrote down was, uh, the flight attendant, which I think I may have mentioned on here, you about have. how much I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I've, I don't think I've watched many other new things. I would, no, well, we, we, we watched started new things. We watched Dexter. Yes. Which, never watched. which is, I just, it's so, I, it's so, so campy. campy. It's so campy. So, I can't I, believe all I those everybody was like, this is unlike, this is just, you know, groundbreaking. I'm like, what the fuck? When we're man? looking this back at it, we're like, why is it? I mean, yes, it's entertaining. It's, yeah, but I, it's some I hate bad his acting. So much. Oh God, I his sister is such an idiot. Oh, oh my God, I should y'all watch it like that. To, this is just not, we're like no. in five or six. Oh, okay, well, yeah. Never mind. But um, what else? I mean, we tried to we we all three started The Handmaid's Tale, and mm. I I don't think I can go back after three episodes of that. Um. So yeah, Have I, you if y'all watching it, Patrice? if y'all no, chit chat, if y'all chit chat on the fan group and just let us know what your take is on the handmaid. Somebody asked me a couple of days ago whether they should start the third Mm-mm. season, and I was like, just be ready for the body count, man. I was like, make sure oh, you take all your no. pills. Or the fourth? You mean this is the fourth? This is the yeah. It's, this is the fourth season, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Nope. <clears throat> not gonna watch it then. I'm gonna so, go back and rewatch Ted Lasso. Yeah, it's not. It's not wholesome family Mm-mm. fun. Not. But I mean, I know you didn't expect it, but it is like it's. Man, it started out beyond. strong. I thought it was going to be like a, yes, yeah, we're going to get no, them all. And then it's just no, back to the same old so. shit. So if it redeems itself, make your case. Because I would really like to know. Because otherwise I ain't going back. Right. Um, yeah. No, that's all I got to say. Wow. See, I don't I have, I don't have enough feel-good shows in my life. Well, now you do. Now I do. And obvious as fuck memes. Mm-hmm. Go follow. Gonna do it. <laughs> Explains all the things. Mm. Right, so I think I am first. Drink. Oh, drink. Oh, <laughs> they were telling us. I was like, all right, it's, it's like, a game. Okay, Everybody drink. drink. <laughs> you must do that every oh. time I say drink. No matter what you're doing in your story, yes. you must take a drink of your drinks. <laughs> I, this is a new game. I think right? we need to play this game. We need to drink. invent a game, right? <laughs> uh, okay, so tell us about the drink since we. Oh yes, do. yes, we just have. I've almost finished my first one. Mm. 
So, uh, you know, I told you on the island that there was a distillery on Defusky, and it is, I thought it was only rum, but I go in and it's all kinds of things. And this is the vodka. It's called Hair of the Dog, which I really, really need today because <laughs> we had our first post, well, almost post-pandemic COVID party yesterday at my house, cookout, nice day. I may have made way too many craft cocktails mm-hmm. for myself and others. I think I had five martinis um, <laughs> with some of the fresh strawberries from Nancy's Creek mm-hmm. that I made those mojitos with. Anyway, so this is uh, lavender and blueberry infused vodka from mm-hmm. Defusky Distillery. So it's purple on its own. Mm-hmm. And then I just made fresh squeezed lemon lemonade um, and poured it in it and added blueberries. And it's just, you don't need anything else because it has that lavender. It's real subtle, but it's 80 proof. I mean, it's, and it doesn't taste it. It's not a liqueur at all. It's it's vodka. Yeah. It doesn't taste like vodka at Mm. all. I don't taste the lavender. I will say that. I smell it, Mm. but I don't taste it. I have like a little hint of the smell. Yeah. But it's delicious. It's It's, yeah. It's really good. Like a purple lemonade is what it looks like. Um, It's really good flavor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can order from them and they do ship. Oh, that's They'll nice. ship to Georgia. They can't ship to us, but I thought right. people could ship to Alabama now. It's some in, in state, in state only can. I know it's so stupid. I roll, I roll big hard. I roll. Mm-hmm. I mean, who wants the wine from here? I mean, I want some from California. I don't want the freaking Muscadine <laughs> wine from the. <laughs> you know, we love you, local people. I mean, I do, but Muscadine. <laughs> but screw your wine. I'm sorry. I'm not a fan Alabama of Alabama is not known I'm not for a its fan of wine. sweet wine. Muscadine and Scuffadine wine is too sweet for me. It's just not. Shop local. <laughs> Look, if y'all start making these vodkas like this now, we'll be now, talking. I, I will say some people. There are some. There's make, some distillers. Some yeah. people make like fruity wine into like slushies. Yeah. So if that's what you're, if that's what you're going for, I think those would be really good with that. I'll say that. I don't know why I'm feeling so like sensitive about what I'm saying about people on the well, show. And, Fuck all y'all. And I'm thinking too. Why do you need it shipped? Where are you? Like, where's all this? But can't you already get it shipped in the state? Or you couldn't? I didn't know that was. You couldn't. Oh, they, oh I thought it was just I didn't out know of that state. Anyway. I thought it was out of state. No, no, the big thing was like now you can have alcohol <laughs> delivered directly to your home, but it has to come from Alabama. All so, the so beers ways too. Well, local we breweries can be then you can get some of the, like the yeah, like good people and stuff maybe. Mm-hmm. Well. But we get it everywhere now here. I mean, it's oh, at every oh, yeah. yeah, I just go to the station store. And... Yeah. All right, onward. Onward. Drink. Drink. <laughs> Drink. All right. I am going to do a Florida man story. Oh, thank God. Because today. mine is mine is low, so you gotta go high. <laughs> <laughs> oh, low, like like, <laughs> like low blow, low by, like low the waist. Like what are we talking like about? Like sad. Low? Sad. Oh, oh. <laughs> dang it. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I know. <laughs> this uh, story kind of fell in my lap. Uh Again, I've been on the computer. I've been doing freelance work. So I've been like on the computer and having to take breaks. And I get this like pockets thing that like pulls together stories that are kind of like in my zone of things that I like. And of course they know like weird fucking shit. (laughs) And so I'll have like some stories come up. And this story came up from um, a website called uh, Narratively and uh, narratively.com. 
and it's called The Strange Life and Mysterious Death of Panther Trapping Gator Wrestling Wild Man. Whoa. And I was like, ooh, (laughs) tell me more. (laughs) Got to know. (laughs) But it's by uh, Tanya uh, Malinowski. Sorry, I just fucked that up. I'm sure it did. And she grew up in West Palm Beach, Florida. And obviously, this is her neck of the woods, and she wanted to write a story about it. Uh, Also, other sources are Wikipedia. And I listened to Southern Mysteries podcast by Shannon Bell. Ballard, who does a great job. She's a one-woman show. She does a lot of the same stories. We have some crossover stories, but she is very much kind of in the style of NPR. She's got that great radio voice, mm-hmm. and she just, like, tells it like it is. It's, like, very straightforward. So a lot of people who do not like our podcast would probably <laughs> love her podcast because she just tells it, and it's, like, nice, relaxing music, and it's enjoyable, and it's good, and she did one on um, this, Wild Man of Lockahatchee, otherwise known as Trapper Nelson. Okay. All right. It's never heard of him? No. Good. Uh, Trapper Nelson Trapper also Nelson. was known as Tarzan of the Lockahatchee. Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> right. Was born uh, November 6, 1908 in Trenton, Ooh. New Jersey. It, there's no apes to raise him in Trenton, New Jersey. New Jersey. <laughs> but he was born as Vincent. Okay, you ready? Not a not to kiss Not to kiss Yeah, not to kiss weasel. Oh my god, it's gonna take her a minute to recover from that one. Okay, not to kiss Not is he Polish? Yes, Polish. Yeah. Okay. Yes, Natakowitz. Natakowitz. Maybe. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna go with that. Natakowitz. Yeah. Anyway, no, obviously, weasel, weasel. <laughs> weasel, weasel, weasel. Okay, she's like, stop it. <laughs> no, she still did. I just took a drink, so I can't now. <sighs> All right, deep breath. Okay. <sighs> he obviously had. Polish parents. Okay. And they couldn't speak a lick of English. Uh, they were like new new immigrants to the country. And around New Jersey, him and his brother would like catch in the marshlands. They would catch like whatever vermins were in the marshlands and uh, sell them for their furs and meats and whatnot. His mother died when he was around 18 years old and his dad remarried. And about that time, you know, they're 18. I don't know how old his brother was. I don't know if he was older or younger, but they decided to leave home that, you know, they, they wanted to explore the world. Okay, not the world. They wanted to explore <laughs> more than New Jersey. New Jersey. <laughs> Joycey. All right. So they leave New Jersey and they head west towards Colorado with it's him, Vincent, and his brother Charlie and their friend John Dykus. And they travel, uh, they train hop, uh, which at that time was basically, they were hobos. Hobos! And so they would, you know, ride the trains and they would go, you know, work different locations and just, you know, be free and explore And so they went out west to Colorado and 
they would hunt, they would trap, they sold hides. Then they kind of meandered their way down to the southernmost part of Texas, and they crossed the Rio Grande and went into Mexico. And so here are these, like, you know, 20-something, three young, wild boys that are catching things. And, I mean, they're just, like, living the life, basically, off the land. And when they're over there, people were kind of like, who the fuck are these people? And it caught the eye of the uh, Mexican Federale, or the police there, right? And so... uh, Vince, not Vince, uh, Charlie and John, uh, one day, either they were somewhere else, but Vince ended up actually getting arrested by the Federale there because they thought that they were running guns across the river to a rebel group um, that was kind of the leftover remains from the Mexican Revolution. Mm -hmm. So Vince is in this Mexican jail and... Vince is like six foot four and like 230 pounds. He's a big dude. Mm -hmm. And he ends up like almost eating uh, the prison like out of their budget. Oh, like he was like eating people? Like, (laughs) no, 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 we're going like, you know, they couldn't keep him fed, Uh basically. He has this legendary appetite. And so he was eating his way right through their budget. And so they let him go. <laughs> so he, he goes, you go home now. <laughs> Stop eating their shit. Okay. So they, um, he goes, you know, back into the yes. And he hops the train with Charlie and John. And they end up um, kind of like in this layover in Miami. And this is 1931. And so when they look, um, when he's, you know, at the layover, they look out and he sees like this lush kind of jungle-like, very primitive area that has like oyster beds, like the size of small rocky islands, tide pools with like mullet Mm -hmm. fish, like all of this animal life down there and them being hunters and trappers that was like, you know... (laughs) right so they um you know they wanted to stay a while and and see what happened and um they settle on a beach which is really interesting because back in those days like 1930s and stuff people could literally you know stay on the beach and it's nobody's private property you know and it's it's kind of like a thing because florida at the time it was almost it was pre uh tourist Mm -hmm. so it really was kind of this wild wilderness where you just like you know you put up your tent and you stayed as long as you need to squat and you squat and that's basically what's happened i had um which i find interesting because i have a friend um that i used to work with alejandra who's from venezuela and she came to um, uh, America and didn't know any English whatsoever. And this, what they do is they do the same thing. They will, like, come to the beach and they will, like, start a bonfire and they will camp out and they will live on the beach. And so she started doing that. Mm. But then, like, the police showed up because mm, this is yeah. America, mm. you know, and this you can't do what you did in Venezuela. <laughs> this know. land is not your land. <laughs> right? This land is my land. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So, which was, like, a, a culture shock for her when she... um God, she was like, she's a great person. I love her a lot. Um, very 
highly intelligent. She's working for Microsoft now, Ooh, I think. Right. Um, and she taught herself how, like, this is how intelligent she, she is. She taught herself English while going to college and then eventually getting her master's. Like, can you imagine wow. getting your master's in no. computer science <laughs> and not knowing no, in like, language. the language? Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, impressive. It's very impressive. Um, <clears throat> all right. So they're squatting on the beach. And it's, you know, it's like 1931, November-ish. And it's the three of them. So they start trapping and selling pelts for money. It was They were making good money. And, um, you know, a uh, couple of months go by, Vince's brother, Charlie, has a hot temper, and he starts picking on John, their friend John, which was Vince's, like, best friend. And he's like, hey, you're not pulling your weight. And he's, like, all the time, like, picking on him and getting mad because he felt like, you know, uh, Charlie, not Charlie, yeah, no, John. He felt like John was freeloading off of them. So one day, Charlie reached for his gun uh -oh. and shot John in the face. What the hell? And oh, killed him. No. Okay, and this is while, yeah, while Vincent was out. And um, Charlie like got up and walked straight to the sheriff's Shit. office and said, I just killed somebody. Huh. Um and turned himself in and they went out to check you know to see to corroborate his story and the body was still warm that's like you know he just like did it and then walked straight to the place so during the trial Vince had to actually testify against his brother and he did um, and he said you know John was a skilled trapper he, he had been holding up his share and that Charlie really was, you know, the instigator of all the feuds and the fights. And his testimony helped put Charlie in jail um, with a life sentence. Dang. So going out, Charlie was like, if I ever get out, I'm going to kill you, talking to his brother. Oh, this. shit. And then he said the same thing to the judge. He's like, if I ever get out, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Okay. Well, All you right. turned yourself in, dude. What the That's hell do you think is going to happen? Gonna hey, I right. killed this guy, but just I don't, know. don't send me to prison. Yeah, exactly. Right? I don't know. I don't mm -hmm. know what the thinking was. So, huh. so Vince goes back to um, New Jersey, and he stays with his sister, and he works on the dairy farm for a while. And he ends up missing Florida and missing the wilds and, and everything that it has to offer. So he borrows some money from his um, sister, and he moves down to the last like little crook of the Loxahatchee. And I don't know if he bought, like he started buying land, and this is like during the middle of the depression. So he would um, he would go to like these auctions that uh, of people selling um, land during the great depression, which when people were trying to unload everything to like make money and he would buy and he ended up buying like 800 acres. And on Damn. occasion he would also um, bid against the judge that put his brother away and they ended up like becoming like really good friends hmm. um, and stuff. So, so now he has this land, it's on this river, it's wild, there's like mangrove trees, um, 
there's you know turtles oh and lakahatchee means like river of turtles so this is that do you know it's okay it's just north of miami okay so um yeah miami up a piece and it's on the the east coast there and so um and i think like the lakahatchee like empties into the atlantic so on that last little bend is, is where he is. And he's, you know, he built him a little shack. He planted some pineapples. He planted some citrus trees, almond trees, guava, and um, started like cultivating the land. He built this elaborate hand pump irrigation system for his gardens. Uh, he didn't go to the store really. Well, he did, but, you know, he lived mainly off the land. And people in the area started hearing about this guy that's living out, like, you know, in the swamp, basically, or off the river. And um, they were very curious about him. At this time, he also, because his name obviously is so fucking hard to say, (laughs) he changes his name to Trapper Nelson. Mm. And so... um, which has nothing to do with his first or last name. Like, no. just, just, all right. No. Yeah, that's what that's I was going kind of Nelson. Nelson. So, Trapper Nelson. So, Trapper is obviously, you know, yeah, his, he's a trapper. He's a trapper. And then Nelson, because it's easier to pronounce <laughs> than like, whatever <laughs> weasel. <laughs> right. And so, um, you know, every morning he would get up, he would chop wood and he's like this huge dude like like muscles like tall um never wore a shirt tan <laughs> like 25 years old he's like hubba hubba right <laughs> and um you know he's like really living this out in the wild you know tarzan like lifestyle uh he skins raccoons wildcats he sells their um you know, their pelts. He has, when I first read this, he said it had a brood of guinea fowl roast, uh, roosting in the trees. When I kind of like glanced at that, and I was like, guinea pigs? I was like, because the guinea fowl were, were kind of like his doorbell. So anybody would come up, they would oh, start yeah. like, you know, going crazy. Yeah. I was like, guinea pigs do that. Ah! <laughs> guinea hands right like little guinea right right yeah um but you know occasionally people would you could the only way that you could get there is by boat and so you know when people would come up on the boat they would warn him um his army of guinea pigs you know (laughs) but he liked people he he was like very um you know, he liked the isolation, liked being out there, obviously, to hunt and to trap and things. But he also liked company. So people would, like, drop by and he would welcome them and show them around of, like, what he's doing, the animals that he's trapped. And, you know, people were very interested about this Yankee who moved down and is living, like, in the, you know, basically jungles mm-hmm. of Florida. Uh, you know, he would wrestle alligators. Uh, he had like all of these things. He had like a snake pit. Like he loved snakes, and he would like come out and greet you with like this, um, this black indigo racer. You know, no. you know, when you would come up, and he had a snake pit. Mm. That were full of like venomous snakes to throw people. Throw in. Me, I was gonna say to kill people. Mm. Well, I think he was just collecting them so he could like kill them and sell their skins. Oh, okay. Um, because you know he was a trapper, and yeah. um, <laughs> collect them, right? And he would, you know, he would um, 
catch like uh, black panthers and he would ship them off to like zoos and stuff. And he was known for like, you know, caging uh, a panther and taking it to the train station to be shipped to New York and saying like, or writing a note saying like, he's a mean cat, you know, leave mm-hmm. him alone. Don't <laughs> pester him. Uh, but also, you know, along with, you know, people in the area, being curious the kids were curious so he would have kids you know come up and he loved you know talking and sharing you know what he knew uh about trapping and hunting with them and he showed the kids the local kids how to trap gopher tortoise and he would pay a dime for each one of them because that was like one of his favorite foods so he was like a very community driven person as well as being totally reclusive <laughs> So he had so many people at this time start to come out there. He's also very business-minded. See, so he's like, I could make some money mm-hmm. off of this. So he started charging people for, like, tours and to come out and camp and learn about all the things and look at all of his menagerie of um, animals. So in 1938, uh, he had a little sign that said Trapper's Zoo and Jungle Gardens. And his admission would be 50 cents. Uh, for adults and 25 for children and he expanded the zoo and he made it more like friendly to like the consumer basically and he's continuing to buy up a lot of land i think he ended up with nearly um uh, 1100 acres uh when it all said and done which is a lot Mm -hmm. it's a lot um before they put roads in, uh, he would have to, he would like weekly go to uh, a local fish camp store that uh, was owned by Bessie and John Dubois, which ended up being like lifelong friends of his. And so he would literally row seven miles to go to the store and then seven miles back. Oh, God. So that was like a weekly thing that he did. Ooh. But he would also use the payphone and he would buy a Wall Street Journal because he knew um, property values were going to be like a thing. And he, you know, this was towards the end of um, the Depression and everything. And that's also how he kept up with the world as well. Uh, Bessie Dubois would talk about his eating and she said that he would come into the store and polish off a box of Hershey's bars oh my god and then wash it down with a quart of milk he would eat ice cream by the half gallon and there were stories um that he once ate 18 eggs for breakfast (laughs) so he's like had this huge appetite she also said that he came over for dinner once and that somebody at the table like cut you know, she had a lemon icebox pie, and so somebody cut um, a piece and put it on their plate and handed it over to Trapper, and then he just, like, took the pie and set it down and ate the rest <laughs> of the pie. That was a story that she tells a lot. So, 1940s, uh, World War II um, is in swing, and he is trying to avoid having to go to war. And one of the things that was going around is like, if you married, you avoided the draft, which was not true. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that but was. But he, that's, you know, that's what was in his head at the time. So he got married. Uh, his plan failed, obviously, and he was drafted. He joined the military police in Texas. Um, but while he was in training, he hurt himself 
like hurt his leg. And so he ended up getting transferred to Camp Murphy, which was really close to his land. So he didn't have to go overseas during World War II. So when he came back, though, which, okay, so we're talking about this camp, this zoo thing that he, I mean, it is like literally shacks. There's no air condition. There's no plumbing. There's uh, no electricity. And he's married to someone that obviously maybe she's not living out there. I I, I don't know, but he comes back. She, she was cheating on him. They got divorced. And, um, you know, he, I guess he just kept, you know, they said he was like a ladies man. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But, you know, after World War II, it's when the economy, like, really picked up. Mm -hmm. Jupiter, Florida, which is where, like, um, is very near where he was living, where his land is, like, boomed. It's, like, between 1945 and 1960, their population, like, tripled. Florida became more and more a tourist location, bringing down more people. So now it's not the locals visiting. It's like people from out of town that started visiting. And being the businessman that he was, you know, he's he's talked to the boat captains. And he was like, look, you know, bring the tourists to my camp and I'll give you, you know, a share of the profits. So he made this, you know, deal with the boat, uh, captains, they would like charter tourists. They would come up river. They ended up like actually having a, um, cutting a road near his place. So you didn't have to travel seven miles via canoe <laughs> to get to it, which again, brought in more care, uh, more people. And he was like a really fun, you like, the way that they describe him reminds me a lot of like the crocodile hunter kind of person, yeah. you know, very like wanted to share what he did, but he's going to charge you <laughs> because he's having to pay taxes on his land. I mean, he bought the land, but now, you know, he's having to pay taxes. And he would, you know, if you had like a stray alligator somewhere or a snake, you know, in your toilet or something like that, he was like the person, he was the go-to person there in Florida to come get whatever wildlife you were having problems with. He also provided, and he would bring animals and um, you could hire them out for parties like <laughs> if you want to like have like the snakes or the gators or whatever. So he was like working all the angles and word got out. Um you know, and he would wrestle gators wearing like these shorts. And that's what he did. He only wore like, <laughs> like these little shorts, uh, cut off shorts and, um, never wore a top and, uh, probably barefoot. And, you know, he was just this bronze Adonis. <laughs> and this like also brought like some of the, upper class from Palm Beach over so like he's been known to court like Harris um heiresses and uh mm -hmm. countesses uh Gary Cooper went out there he's he's yeah. thoughts of like Patricia Neal uh supposed to have a love affair with him boxers came out there beach socialites the DuPonts the Kennedys all of those people like went out there because you know, it's, it's an uncomplicated life. It's dangerous. It's sexy. 
it's no air condition, so it's really not that sexy. <laughs> I just searched it's Trapper John sinky. because every time you visit, oh my god, that, it's Trapper really John, Trapper MD. John MD, that was a show. <laughs> it was. I kept I remember thinking it. when you were saying Trapper, I was like, isn't that the name? It was on so Mash too. Sorry, everybody wanted <laughs> to Nelson. you know observe this this lifestyle, whether you know you didn't have much money or whether you had a lot of money. I mean, he was just an interesting charismatic person and he you know he loved the life and he loved sharing it with other people as well but you know again there's no air condition there's mosquitoes there's snakes there's alligators uh people that would stay there would get scared because there would be like unfamiliar howls in the middle of the mm-hmm. night like things crashing through the jungle sasquatch sasquatch Aliens. right um skunk cape mm-hmm. uh there were storms that would come up because you know in florida anywhere on the coast it's like afternoon thunderstorm mm-hmm. like all the time so 1960s everything you know everything was going good articles written you know tourist legend kind of making money but he kept having problems with health inspectors and people who wanted to impose regulations on him and his property the zoo was unhygienic (laughs) and um you know so he built lavatories um their uh, properties because of all the tourism things were building up on the beach so beachfront properties were skyrocketing in price and um you know if he had little to no income depending on you know which way the wind blow you know taxes were hard so he ended up having to borrow like a hundred thousand dollars just to pay taxes because the taxes went up so i mean because he's like right there on the beach in in like prime real estate yeah uh which would be like uh eight hundred and seventy thousand dollars today's money like almost a million dollars um which obviously he had to borrow so anytime you start talking about finances like Mm, that then it's it's depressing Mm -hmm. and so um he had like a really deep-seated hate um and the stress of the government uh he ended up like everything kind of went down like he's having to owe all this money and he just got tired of it um he closed the camp or actually in one article that i read it said that the health um the health department actually closed him so he had to close the zoo um and he started getting a little bit paranoid uh when he closed it i think it was kind of a relief for him Mm -hmm. so he's not having to perform anymore he said he felt a whole lot safer uh, because he's in his 60s now or almost in his 60s right um, he said he was born in 1908 yeah Yeah, so yeah he's getting older Mm -hmm. um and and he's um you know, he's convinced he's having stomach pains. He's convinced he's got colon cancer, but he won't go see a doctor or anything like that. He cuts, <laughs> okay, Dad. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he cuts down, like, the a tree to fall across, like, the main entrance way to get to his place via, like, the river. And then he puts a, uh, a gate up where you can get to him from the road. 
And he stops talking to everybody, basically, but the Dubois and just, you know, like everyone, leave them alone kind of thing. And it's because he felt squeezed because all these developers were wanting mm-hmm. to, like, buy and build golf courses and condominiums. And, you know, taxes went up. Then, you know, the public health officials were all up his ass. And he's just, like, not feeling good. And so he starts, you know, he puts up signs saying danger, landmines, so people wouldn't sneak <laughs> on to his property. Because, you know, he had he had people, like, even when he was doing the zoo and he had, like, all the things that he grew, he grew pineapples there. People would, like, that would stay there overnight camping, they would, like, take his pineapples. Mm. So he, like, ended up having to grow pineapples on an island that he would sell to you um, because he raised them. And, you know, but, you know, so he was having to deal with, the public and we know how shitty the public can be right mm-hmm. so over the next seven years he just kind of went downhill and um it was just worn down but on may of 1968 uh he wrote to his sister and he's like look the state park is taking steps to make me an offer for the ranch so he was thinking about selling his land because again properties you know went up and he's older and he's not doing the things that he he once was doing and so he's like in negotiation and at the end of this so it wouldn't go to like condominiums or golf courses it would actually be like a national park a a refuge kind Mm -hmm. of thing uh but if they bought he would like have like a million dollars and back in you know 1960s that's like a lot of money yeah that's still it's still a lot of money but you know a lot a lot of money i don't know what today's money would be but a lot of money and so five million i'm guessing yeah (laughs) and so he um he's like i'm gonna do this this is you know what i'm going to do that summer uh he ended up dropping off his car at this local uh station that he used for repairs and the next day the guy drove his jeep back out or his truck back out uh, to trappers to drop it off and he saw trapper and he waved at him but you know trapper didn't say anything and um a couple of days went by and he ended up missing an appointment on july 30th and john dubois who was like his only friend that he kept he said that's highly unusual for him he always kept all of his appointments so he drove out there and unlocked the gate and the guinea pigs squealed <laughs> Um, but you know, Trapper didn't come out to greet him or anything. He's like, before he got much further, he could smell. Oh no. Um, something no. not right. And so he went to like the picnic shelter that he had there and he saw uh Trapper was face down in the sand and he had a um hole in the back of his head. Oh, oh crap. So um ended up he had a uh a bullet wound that went from his left side up and went out the back of his head. Oh, weird. And so the um, Martin County Sheriff's office ruled it a suicide because there was lack, there was lack of signs of a struggle Hmm. um, or footprints in the sand or anything like that. But they noticed that, you know, the gun had no fingerprints and it didn't have any fingerprints on it from John either. And Ooh. there was like no foot, like there was no footprints of anybody mm. um, when they got there. But they didn't, you know, they didn't change uh, the thing from it. They called it a suicide. Mm-hmm. 
and um and then that was it but you know some of his friends were like where's charlie well charlie, charlie. that's who i've been thinking about charlie was released from prison Uh-oh. because you know life doesn't mean life yeah mm-hmm. uh november 20th 1951 mm. so this is 1968 so he has been out like a long yeah. time and um so that kind of came up. That was in the back of everybody's head, too. But August 6, 1968, several of his friends and a few family members scattered Trapper's, trapper's um, ashes onto the waters of the Loxahatchee. Uh, he, he had been like 59 years old when he died. And uh, a lot of people said that he, you know, lived and died on his own terms. Uh, which makes sense. So the executor of Nelson's um, estate told his sister that he had, Trapper had actually said he would rather die than be an invalid. So the family's thinking it was more than likely suicide. Mm. Uh, and the, um, and somebody said it was probably because uh, they're like, that's a weird gunshot wound because yeah. he, he was very proficient with, a, you know, a shotgun. And sounds like an accidental discharge. And yeah. And so people thought maybe it would have been an accidental discharge. Um, or somebody said that he probably didn't want to shoot himself in the face mm. because, you know, he had a good face <laughs> and he knew it. Mm-hmm. He was, um, but the state <clears throat> actually, uh, went to uh say a few months after his death the state traded land for nelson's estate which became part of the jonathan dixon state park um the site is now known as trapper nelson's zoo historic district oh and the land was converted to a park it's um it was, I don't know if it's opened now. I think it may be, but of course it's been vandalized. Everything is still there, like how he had it. Um, I do think oh, weird. one person, or not one person, I do think one building was burned down by an arsonist because people, again, are assholes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you can you can still go out there. In 1984, a park ranger uh went through the place and discovered Nelson's treasure. Cause that's another reason they thought maybe somebody had killed him looking for like his money. Uh, because a person like that would not use a bank <clears throat> normally. And, um, they found like a thousand, like almost $2,000 in like the secret place in the <laughs> chimney in like old coins that range from like 1890s to the 1960s. So oh, he had cool. his little stash there, but today, like his cabin, the guest house, the chicky shelter, uh, the docks, the boathouse, all of his assorted cages from the zoos are there. All of his fruit trees are there. Um, all his little guinea pigs, I guess, <laughs> maybe are still there. And um, it's, it's one of the main attractions if you go to the Jonathan Dixon State Park nowadays and um, learn. Jonathan Dixon? Mm-hmm. Dixon, sorry. Dixon State Park. And, um, yeah, learn of the legend of, um, the wild man of the Lockahatchee. Huh. It's really cool. I uh, look at this picture of him. He, he was good looking. Yeah. 
that is the story of Trapper Nelson. Well done. Yay. Wow, Trapper man. Nelson. Trapper Nelson. Glad to know about Guinea pigs. <laughs> Do you want more Strange South every week? We can help. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast, to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community. Do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at thestrangesouth.com. Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch. You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies. See you there. So, this actually has been on, on my back burner for a while. but um, And the first time I heard about it was from an episode of the podcast Risk, which if you have never heard, I highly recommend. It's it's raunchy uncensored beautiful storytelling i love the show so but this i heard about it first from that show so i'll plug them a little bit to start with and there's also a book that i read in 10 hours called <laughs> shake off the devil oh my god and um <laughs> did you do all that this weekend yes oh my god i started yesterday oh my god <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she left the party and went home and read. Yes, studied. Yeah, I yes, I stayed <laughs> up. I went home and, and read a book. So, uh, that's so, an adult in, <laughs> dedication. <laughs> uh, in the New York Times, I know mm -hmm. this is the South. We're still in the South. Don't worry. Okay. Um, <laughs> September 9th in two thousand five, the New York Times published a story. You know, it's 2005, so it was a story about people Sorry. in New Orleans who refused to evacuate oh. for Hurricane Katrina. Oh, wow. Do you hear that? It's like, oh. It tra it's traumatizing. Katrina um, is. Yeah. For me. And the headline was, holdouts on dry ground say, why leave now? So it was post-Katrina. You know, Katrina hit on August 20, 29th mm -hmm. in 2005. It hit in New Orleans, at least that day. And um, at the time the article was written, people still had no food, no water, no, no power in a whole bunch yeah. of places. Um, people had been told to evacuate before the storm. We all know some of this. And many, especially in the Ninth Ward, had no way to leave. Couldn't, yeah, there's a ton of people that that cannot just where pick you gonna up go? and move. Exactly. But, um, right, where are you going to go? Well, mm -hmm. even if you had transportation, a lot of people don't have transportation. Mm -hmm. it's, that's the thing. A lot of people do not have transportation. Exactly. And there were, it's interesting because while I was reading this book, I was like becoming more aware of certain stories about like people who had been told in one part of the city to go across a bridge to get to the evacuation points were being met by like police yep. lines at the bridges telling them they had to go back because they were kind of quarantining different parts of the city and people were getting stuck between yeah. like, commandments from different sections mm -hmm. and had nowhere to go but anyways that's not that's not where this story ends up going there were a whole bunch of sections of the city that were on high ground on dry ground didn't flood right um and after the storm ray nagan the mayor of new orleans ray nagan told the police to forcibly evacuate the people who had decided to stay you know whether they were regardless of whether they were you know damaged homes or whatever like you have to tell the police to forcibly evacuate people mm -hmm. i think you could just tell them evacuate people and it's still forcibly yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Everything is forcibly. Yeah. But, you know, basically his idea was, you know, fires could happen. At, there was waterborne disease was like a huge, you remember mm-hmm. this, was oh, a yeah. huge mm-hmm. deal. Everybody was really worried about. Um, but like I said, the people in the French Quarter, which is where the story kind of takes place, which high ground didn't flood, you know, and there there are some folks who decided to stick it out and went through the hurricane winds. And then they're at this post point where they're just like, why the hell do I need to go now? You know, like I stayed this levee, long when the levee breaks after. Well, yeah, it was after though. It was after all of this. So um, this article is on those people. And a lot of them are like rich folks yeah, um, who stuck around during the storm and after the storm and were kind of like pissed because they were now being told to leave, whether they had supplies or not, whether they felt safe or not. How about compassionately evacuate people? How yeah. about that? I'm sorry, that, that term just like really <laughs> bugs me. I have bugged a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But um, so buried in this New York Times article, there's this t- single tiny paragraph. And this is what it says. Some holdouts seem intent on keeping alive the distinct and wild spirit of the city. In the French Quarter... Addie Hall and Zach Bowen found an unusual way to make sure that police officers regularly patrolled their house. Miss Hall, 28, a bartender, flashed her breasts at the police vehicles th- that passed by, ensuring a regular flow of traffic. <laughs> sounds very New Orleans. Yes, it Just sounds very say, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. It how sounds how you, like you 100% you the spirit yeah. of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of people Standard. had a chuckle at this, but this is really the only part of the article that had to do with them. The thing is... There were pictures in the article that were of Zach and Addie. Oh, of her boobs. No, not of her boobs. <laughs> so the picture, the picture that I saw immediately was um, these two ki- kids. Really, I mean, you know, twenty eight and twenty nine. Yeah. Um, she's skinny with long blonde hair. She's slight. Um, he's tall, kind of mousy hair, cute, kind of a little bit goofy. Um, he's shirtless with shorts and tennis shoes. Like I said, both in the late 20s. And they're, you know, it's dark and they're lighting candles at this little round table that looks like somebody's hand-me-down end table from somewhere painted white. And um, he's reaching to put like a handful of saltines in a styrofoam bowl full of beans. And she's just grinning across the table, just huge grin, just looking beautiful with this candlelight and everything like that. No power. Um, There's like some cans and and a half-empty glass of wine on the table and, um, you know, they're just sitting in like bag chairs around this little table in the street. And it's like they're it's like you're looking at two young people at a camp out, like having a good old time. And it was a really impactful photo. And these two were like right in the middle of this golden time while they were in New Orleans after Katrina. Um, they had just Zachary Bowen and Addie Hall had just started dating then. Um, like just a month before, like really just. Mm-hmm. So and it was still a honeymoon of the relationship. It was still mm-hmm. a honeymoon of the relationship. They were both bartenders at the same bar and they had just, he had an early shift. She had a shift right after his and they'd met that way. And um, so Addie was from Durham, North Carolina. She was a high school dropout. She was a dancer who wrote poetry. Um, she moved to New Orleans in 2002 after couch surfing for a while, um, leaving her house. She was like, considered kind of like a fun, creative, inventive person by friends. She always was working a hustle, always broke, you know, Mm -hmm. always had a job, always working really hard, never had any money. Um, 
her friend and her former roommate, Dennis Mon, who is the person who did the risk story that I initially heard mm. was a friend of hers, um, told this story about how like she, she had like, she was a seamstress too. So she would have like a mannequin in, in her apartment sometimes. And like, she would just randomly dress it up in all the tourist wear and put like beads around it and put a real drink in its hand with a hat and just set it outside the sidewalk on like outside on the sidewalk outside her apartment and just watch drunk people come by and interact with it like <laughs> late at night. That's <laughs> you know, hilarious. Like, like, That'd be a great live cam. Exactly. Oh so my that's God. just drunk like, dudes hitting exactly. all that mannequin. That's just on, the baby. kind of person that she was. I know. It's a, and she, so they would just kind of watch what people would do. Um, but you know, she's always, like I said, always working, always broke, always drinking, always doing coke. Money went to. Really volatile. Yeah. Money just flies. Yeah. Okay. And, um. Yeah, money's gone. (laughs) So her friend, um, her friend who did this, Dennis, who did this risk story said that she was always just running for some, from something Mm -hmm. in her life. You know, I mean, she left home really early. It sounds like judging by the book the shake off the devil book she had a, a history of sexual abuse in her mm-hmm. in her childhood um you know likely from some of the things they described about her she had really wild mood swings you know she's a lot of people say just artists and creatives in general are like this it sounds like she's like way up there on another level right. and um so she would go from just being like the most outgoing just bipolar charismatic movie. person sounds like exactly it. sounds like bipolar to just very like common cursing for out everybody mm-hmm. around her and creative types yes. to have um mental health exactly and so you know she also like when she would you know, she's a bartender she's mm-hmm. in new orleans when she would get drunk though she's a mean ass drunk oh, mm-hmm. yeah and she made a lot of it sounds like it sounds like she made a lot of gay friends particularly and and one person posited this is because she felt safer with gay men but that you know then she would get drunk and she would just like scream oh. faggot at them oh, like no. around every corner so it's just she just couldn't rein it in you know right. And um, she like she beat a neighbor with a two by four one time. Damn. She got arrested for just getting pissed at somebody and like brandishing a gun in the middle of the street at some dude that walked by. Um, she one time had a boyfriend that she had moved in with that she she walked in on him one time like jacking off to gay porn in a closet. Oh, and she just got super pissed with him and started a a ruckus with him but he ended up breaking her jaw i mean like these are the kinds of relationships that Mm. addy has had highly volatile um she told her friend at one point you know that there was no way she was going to live past 30 and she didn't want to because she wanted to die young and leave a pretty corpse and so that this is addy Mm -hmm. and zach so at the time these pictures are taken he's just a year i think younger than her he's originally from california And, you know, his parents got divorced when he was a teenager, when he was like in high school, I think. And um, it talked, the book that I read was primarily about him more than anybody else. And it it talked about how he always felt different from everybody else. He never quite felt, you know, like he understood or that other people understood him. To family and friends, he just apologized for everything all the time. Like he always felt like he was doing something wrong. Um... And he moved to New Orleans when he was 18 and started bartending. Like, you know, they gave him a job just like hawking like go cups out of a window at a bar. Um, And while he was there, he met this woman named, 
I think you pronounce it Lana. It's Lana or Lena. I'm gonna say Lana. Weasels. <laughs> yeah, weasels. <laughs> Lana weasels. Is it? Lana weasels. Um, but she's like nine to ten years older than him. She didn't realize that at the time because he's bartending. She assumes that he's got to be at least like twenty one, but he's right. not. Right. And um, so they kind of hook up while she's on vacation in New Orleans, and he just falls like puppy dog falls for this girl, and um. You know, they kind of start a thing up, and in 1997, she gets pregnant. And in 1998, they get married in New Orleans, um, and she has another baby not long after. So, you know, he's like 20. He's got two kids and a wife. And he's in New Orleans. He hasn't had a really solid, like teenage time either right you yeah know, so he's no not like dating. super stable yeah no, you're right well it sounds like he got around a little bit right. but like but not i mean not he's like the he's, time yeah i mean like he's like 20 years. and married yeah right. <laughs> so you know he um he's basically a baby right mm-hmm. but at the same time he people generally i mean generally say he's a good guy you know he wants to do right by people he wants to help people he doesn't want to like fuck over this woman or these children he he is into these kids Mm -hmm. you know he's not like a deadbeat and so he's putting a lot of pressure on himself to be like the provider dad and the you know the good dad and good parent so but it's really hard for him because he's fucking 20 and he doesn't have you know skills and he can bartend and he's still like guys at 20 are still extremely immature oh yeah Yeah. extremely they don't get mature to like 60 yeah yeah right yeah right (laughs) And so, like, so according, especially according to the according to the perspective in this book that I read, mm-hmm. um, this was something he worked really hard at, but it's very hard for him to be this person. Mm-hmm. Um, so he gets like a various jobs, bartending and doing doing odd jobs and things like this in in New Orleans. His wife is a stripper and she's got work, um, but when he's at the bar tending bar he's like super charismatic. He everybody loves him. People just fall over themselves over this kid because he's he's really friends like he's made for this you know Mm -hmm. he's really friendly he's very popular he always gets people happy he's drinking but you know he may have some according according to you know people's opinion he may have some bipolar in him too because he would have these like awesome highs in the bar and be super happy with everybody but then he would like write letters to his mom about how ashamed he is of everything and these spirals of, you know, Mm -hmm. how ashamed he is of the way he lives and that he can't do these things for his family or for anybody else. So his brother at one point they're talking on the phone is like kind of helping with this shame spiral spiral Mm -hmm. a little bit and says like, you know, this is no way to be a dad. You can't just bartend, which is actually kind of bullshit. Right. And he's good at it. But, um, He's like, you need to do something like, you know, go get in the military. You know, they have benefits. They have go go join the army. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so he does start thinking about it. And he's like, well, that would be kind of a good way to provide for, you know, because you you get so many benefits when you're right. when you, you know, when you enlist and when you, you know, become an officer and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's it's great what the military does for people after they, you know, risk their lives and do a whole bunch of stupid shit. So he decides to enlist in the army. And um they sent him to Germany and then to Kosovo. And so, you know, at this time in Kosovo, there's like this, this, you know, war crimes happening. Serbs are like killing ethnic Albanians, mass graves. His unit is assigned to like bag bodies and mass graves. Yikes. And that's like one of the first, mm-hmm. you know, real missions he has when he's abroad. Um, one day, you know, they're, they're out, in the field and he hands candy to a little um, Albanian girl 
And the next day, somebody in his unit tells him that they that that little girl was was killed for interacting with an American. So that was his that was this is his first big hit in the military. And then, you know, he's having to cover riots. The Albanians are, you know, throwing things at the, you know, at the um, American forces. And so they're having to mace people. They're beating people with batons. You know, there's all this kind of violence. And then meanwhile, things aren't great at home with the wife and kids, you know, because they're separated and he's twenty. They're all right. young. You know, right. she's by herself. He doesn't feel like she wants to be with them anymore. So he's got this all going on in his brain. Mm-hmm. And then 9-11 happened. It's like all these kids like joined the military in 2000. They're like, we're never going to be at war. And right. then 9-11 happens. Mm. So um, the whole weapons of mass destruction thing goes on and he his unit gets sent to kuwait in 2003 and it one of the things that they really focused on the other people in his unit was like how jarring and um just mentally exhausting it was to not be able to tell your friends from your enemies which talk to any vietnam vet right i mean but um that idea of just like never knowing who you're talking to was Mm. just a constant source of stress right in everything they did and then, you know, so while he's over there, you know, a friend of his and his unit is killed in a mortar attack. And uh, he befriends a little Iraqi boy who always, like, brings him cokes when he's on a certain route and finds out one day that they've they've killed his entire family. Um, you know, stuff like this is normal for war, but it's not normal, you know? Right. It's like, and it, and it damages people. And so, you know, he's been this party guy for a long while before he gets into the situation in the military and even in the military like they he was the bartender he would just you know he he made everybody happy and then they got to kuwait and he changed and he became really withdrawn and he got really angry at the military you know because he's like you know you've taken me away from my family i feel like my family's falling apart and we're here and we're not doing goddamn any he was like nothing's getting better right yeah because he's 20 right and he you know and also you know that was kind of a bullshit conflict yeah and nothing was getting better no and he he was really pissed up about it and so he was having to deal with that and you know he couldn't just go home right so he starts intentionally failing his fitness tests over and over and over again. They would retest him and he would fail and they would retest him and he would fail. And he had, he did have like, he had to have surgery on his feet because there was some damage that had been done. Like they had given him like undersized combat, but he had like a size 17 foot. Holy shit. And they had what given, does that even look like? I know, like? a boat. <laughs> I mean, like... But Goofy? they had to make special combat boots just for him. But before they were able to do that, he had been traveling around in undersized combat boots and had really damaged his feet oh and had had to have surgeries. And well, so that's he one was of in a lot of pain. That I thought that they teach you in the army is like you don't get your socks wet. It's mm-hmm. like you keep your feet. Your shoes are the most like, like precious important thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, he it was just one of those, yeah, one of those things. So, you know, on top of all this, he was on he was in pain. Right. But, you know, that wasn't the reason he failed these fitness tests. He did all this on purpose. Right. And um, so he finally, after a series of these failures, he gets a general discharge, which the the author of the book that I read said it really shouldn't have been it should have been an honorable discharge. Mm -hmm. But between honorable and dishonorable, there is general discharge where there's nothing that you've technically done that's bad exactly but you don't get benefits oh fuck so he gets he gets discharged 
and his wife, kids, him, nothing. They get no benefits. And um, so he goes back to New Orleans in December 2004, very likely in the early stages of PTSD, with no money, no income, and no access to treatment. And um, so he and Lana are already have already basically called a separation right. by the time he gets home. But, you know, there's like, there's this kind of period he's trying to get to know his kids again. And he kind of moves in with them too, you know, but she's like trying to be clear, this is a separation, but they're moving in together. And so he's got this whole like, yeah, we're going to get back together kind of thing going on, but it's not going to happen. Right. And so in spring 2005, he gets this job bartending at Hogs Bar in the French Quarter where he meets this skinny blonde girl. Um, named Addie. So this is Zach's backstory. So we've got like two super volatile, mentally unstable people mm. who are just really unfortunate right. in their lot. Right. And um, so they're struggling to get by and they, they kind of fall in with each other. And here comes the storm. Mm. And, you know, he kind of, he decides to, to bunk up with her during Katrina. She doesn't want to go. And he kind of would have considered it but she's here now and he doesn't want to leave her either. And it sounds like they're, yeah, we'll be okay. And they, they right. shack up in her apartment. And it's funny. Cause when you were telling your story, you said like the uncomplicated life was mm -hmm. what you said about Trapper Nelson. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what they were in the middle of when that photo is taken for the New York times mm -hmm. is like, suddenly the storm comes. And as much as like, Oh, it sucks. You don't have food. You don't have water. You don't have power. But like, you don't have to show up at your job. You don't have to worry about whether anybody's going to ask where you are. You don't even have to tech. I mean, like the police are so busy. You can go to the convenience store and grab three cans of beans. And it doesn't really matter right. if you follow the law, even because they've got bigger fish to fry, right. you know? And it's like all these expectations that both of them like struggle under are wiped away. Mm -hmm. And so they're in, and you know, it's funny. Like when, when you have storm, we used to have hurricane parties in Orlando. I mean, even when we were being hit by a hurricane, it's like at that little while after like a, a big group tragedy like that, you mm -hmm. do kind of, it's not like a relief. There's still like the stress of the cleanup and all that kind of stuff. Right. But especially if you didn't have immediate damage. Yeah. You're kind of celebrating yeah, living through it. Exactly. Right. There's something renewing about that. Mm -hmm. And that like everybody's in the same boat for a little while. Right. And um, so they are like 100% in heaven with this mm -hmm. because all the stuff they can't deal with, it's gone for a while. Mm -hmm. And they'd spend their days just like cleaning up debris on the streets, taking care of the neighborhood and the people that are still there. They serve up cocktails to everybody that stuck around at night. You know, everybody loves them. They, they lend money to people they don't have. They, I mean, like they're actually like really good community minded people a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And um, so the whole neighborhood sort of bonds, but then like, Meanwhile, like if Zach rides his bike like several neighborhoods down, there's like a dead guy stuffed in a like a grocery cart, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, like there's and, and you know, Addie goes to a convenience store and nearly gets raped by this creeper who's like hiding behind one of the shelves. I mean, Shut. all that kind of shit's still going down. Right. And, um, you know, in September 3rd, like the 82nd Airborne comes in full, you know, full 
uniform and everything to um, do their search and rescue mission officially. Mm -hmm. And so Zach's seeing all these people in uniform and he's going back into a shame spiral of like, why Mm -hmm. am I not still in the military? And he's being triggered Mm -hmm. and things already have started to go downhill. Right. Like it's like hardly even over yet this like honeymoon period and things are already starting to look kind of shitty. And so then people start coming back Mm -hmm. and they're not happy about that either. Like they kind of resent all these people who like, Oh yeah, we're, we love new Orleans, but you didn't fucking stick it out, which is a stupid attitude, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, but it's how they felt. Right. Yeah. And, um, and now they have to go back to normal and they don't like normal, Mm -hmm. you know, like real life is not their friend. Right. So, um, Zach has basically ignored his wife and kids this whole time that the storm is going on. Like she didn't even know he He's was still, still alive. Is, is he still married to her? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, they are not, they are They're not separated. formally divorced. Okay. And, um, she had to evacuate the kids by herself. She ended up in Texas working at an Applebee's just to make enough money to get by until she could get back into new Orleans and when she finds out that he just didn't answer her messages, oh, shit. she is pissed as fuck. And, you know, she starts putting new demands about, like, you can't see the kids unless you do X and Y. This chick that you're dating that you decided you were going to stick it with during this storm, you can't have my kids around her until I have some, like, face-to-face time with her. And so, like, Addie... Which is a smart mom. It's a very smart move, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Addie sounds like when he first starts pitching the stuff to her, like she sounds kind of excited about, okay, well I'll meet Lana, you know, uh, it'll be fun. I'll be the, I'll be the stepmom or whatever. This will be, you know, and she gets excited about like maybe buying stuff for the kids and all this. But like by the time they actually get to meeting face to face, Mm -hmm. she is already done. Mm -hmm. Like she sits in the car, she sulks, she's pissed about it. She does not want to meet this chick. And she's like, She's already, you know, the first time the kids come to stay at their apartment after that, Addie goes out and gets drunk all day, mm-hmm. doesn't spend any time with them. The next time she tells him he's got to start getting a hotel when he has the kids because she doesn't want him in the house. Um, so, you know, dumps. Right. So they start having big fights, obviously, over stuff like this. Um, they break up, they get back together. And it's like, again, two really volatile people. So it's like, Knockdown, drag out, fight, screaming, cursing, breakup. And then like two mornings later, somebody on somebody's doorstep bawling their eyes out, mm-hmm. begging for, mm-hmm. you know, reconciliation. And it's just this huge, it's like it goes past unhealthy and into dangerous, like mm-hmm. real fast. And um, and this goes on almost a year. Damn. Like they just go back and forth in this process, like over and over again. So um, in September 2006... Lana finally tells Zach she wants a divorce and you know whether he's been like expecting anything different at this time is kind of unclear but it's a it is a break you know for him I mean that's hard for him because now she can say like custody of the kids yeah like they can be separated right legally and he you know which sounds like what she needs to do yeah maybe so like during one of his off again times with Addie he, you know, he's sad about this new, you know, divorce idea. He's out, you know, he's still going out and partying, but he like, he knows a lot of friends at gay bars and he goes and hangs out at a gay bar and he meets a guy and is surprisingly into this guy. Hmm. And he ends up starting up a relationship with a dude. And, you know, this isn't something that's been mentioned before in any of the stuff. And honestly, I'm not, I'm not 
totally sure about the amount of like research that was put into this book because I was like, what you just pass right by that? Like that's not right a, something that you need to delve ask into? other people about yeah. or but you know, he it's just something that apparently just suddenly happened. And um and around the same time that that happens, Addie is getting like kicked out of her current apartment. And she has nowhere to go. She doesn't have like money at this time, but he's working two jobs and she knows it. So she reaches out to him and is just like, is there anything you can do to help me out? And he's kind of like, okay, maybe if we're in a new atmosphere, maybe things could potentially be okay. And he's like, if, if we can find a place and and I can afford it, then maybe we can get on a lease together and just because he he doesn't really have a great place to go right now either. Right. So he's like, okay, well, we'll give this a shot. So they they go to look around and they find this little second floor flat on North Rampart Street in the French Quarter. And it's above like a voodoo temple. It's like a, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and it's like a little cottage. It's really cute, actually. It's like a little cottage, the pictures of it from then. Um and it's it's kind of more than he can afford, but he does have like the the deposit and the first month's rent, mm -hmm. so he can pay that. So they go, and it has just come open. So the guy doesn't have a lease ready or anything like that. But they're like, "We want this. Can you give it to us?" And he's like, "Yes, give me this money. Here are the keys. I'll pull up the lease. We'll get it in a couple of days. All all worked out." Um. So this happens on October second, two thousand six. And sometime between then and the next day, Addie finds out about this guy mm. that that he's been seeing. And um, on October 4th, the morning, she calls the landlord, apparently from the apartment that they've already moved into, and says, hey, listen, we changed our minds. I know we said that we only wanted like a one month, like a month by month lease with both of us on it, but we changed our minds. Can you make it up for a six month lease with just my name? <gasps> And he's like, I, I guess so. And like 10 minutes later, he gets a call from Zach who says, did you just tell her that I could not be on the lease? And he's like, yeah, I mean, I don't, I didn't have any reason not to. Mm -hmm. And he was like, she just told me she's kicking me out of the fucking apartment. Mm -hmm. He's like, that's my money. And the guy's like, this is your argument. Right. Like I got nothing to say. And so she has basically turned around and said, Hey, I found out about this guy. I'm kicking you out. And if you don't fucking leave, I'm going to tell your wife and your kids that you're dating a man and that you have AIDS. And so Ooh, they talk and they fight and they talk and they fight all day, <clears throat> October 4th, just back and forth. So he's looking at like losing $1,500 and his wife is divorcing him. And I'm sure he's maybe a little bit confused about this whole situation with the dude. Right. And plus he's looking at maybe being homeless and his kids are supposed to come visit him next weekend. And he has nowhere to take them if he's not in this apartment. Plus right. he has PTSD. Right. And, and this roller coaster of a relationship. Doesn't this landlord say, hey, I don't need either one of y'all in here. You haven't right? even signed the lease. Here's your money back. Bye. Yeah. yeah. I think if, he had, had, if he had a little bit more what? time to see what was going on, Wouldn't I think he would Wouldn't you want them out? I mean, it's already, yeah. they haven't even moved in. Because I think Shit. he told his other tenants that he like really carefully vetted the people who moved into his apartments and they're Lies. like, bullshit. Mm -hmm. But at about um, 1 a.m. on October 5th, after arguing Ooh. for basically like almost 24 hours. Zach just grabs Addie by the throat and strangles her to death. Yeah. Um, at 6 a.m., he goes to work at his regular delivery job. 
He just tells everybody. Addie decided that she wanted to move out. She's going back to Durham. We got in a big fight. She moved back to North Carolina. And a couple days go by. And he's still going to his work shift. And suddenly he just stops going to work and starts a bender that just goes on for days. Just like blowing all this money that nobody knows where he got. And like lap dances, you know, girls clubs buying Jameson shots for entire bars full of people. uh, You know, like tons of coke. And then he just disappears for a few days. And on October 17th, 2006, he goes to the rooftop pool bar at the La Riviera and he stays for a few hours. And the guy who played in the band during that day, right? Like noticed him. He's a really good looking kid, you know, mm-hmm. and he, you know, he was cleaned up and he was just, you know, but he looked really introspective and he would just sit by the pool and smoke and drink and look up at the sky. And then every once in a while he would like, pace the pool and go to the railing and go back to his seat and go to the railing and go back to his seat. And then at one point the bartender's like, this dude skipped out on his, on his tab. And so they start kind of looking around for him. And then they look back at the security tapes and they realized at one point he paced over to the railing and just went over. So he fell five stories onto the roof of the parking garage of the Omni Hotel, where Lana says they used to take the kids to swim. So she was convinced that it was like a targeted like mm-hmm. position for her to know mm-hmm. that he was upset with her. Um, but in the front pocket of his pants, and he died instantly okay. on, on contact. Yeah. Um, on the five front stories. Yeah, five stories down. So in the front pocket of his pants is a Ziploc bag, and there's his dog tags in there and a key to his apartment and a note that says, for police only, written on a flap on the outside. And inside it has detailed instructions for police on how to get into his apartment, his his landlord's name, phone number, and it says, this is not accidental. I had to take my own life to pay for the one I took. If you send a patrol car to 826 North Rampart, Mm -hmm. you will find the dismembered corpse of my girlfriend, Addie, in the oven, on the stove, and in the fridge, along with full documentation on both of us and a full signed confession from myself. Oh, fuck. Holy fuck. I know. He went to town. He went. Because I was wondering when you said strangled her and then he was gone for days, I was like, what did he do with the body? It's New Orleans in the... I was thinking thinking you were going to, like, he was going to put her in her trunk. Yeah. I I mean... It took days to do what he did yeah so and he actually wrote he took her diary (sighs) in the apartment and wrote detailed like day by day everything he did over the course of the several days it took him to get fuck to this so police got to the apartment they opened the door and there's like a blast of freezing cold air because he's turned the wall air conditioner down to 60 Mm -hmm. and it's just been running full blast for probably the last 11 days Mm -hmm. and um they go in, there's like beer cans and cigarette butts and moving boxes all over the floor. And on the walls, he has taken silver spray paint and written, please call my wife in one place. I love her in one place. I'm a total failure in one mm. place. And the ceiling above their bed, he has written, please help me stop the pain. He has like, he mm. had 28 cigarette burns on him because he said in the diary that he had gone through and burned himself for every year of his life that he was a failure and he was 28 years old. And so, and then he has a look in the oven spray painted on one of the walls and then a silver star or a silver arrow on the wall pointing down to the range. And they inside two legs charred in a tinfoil Turkey pan. 
two oh deep my. pots on the range had her head, her hands, and her feet, and her torso was in a garbage bag in the fridge. And that was the second time Zach and Addie hit the front page of the newspaper. Mm. So it was like hardly any time before like the ghost tours in New Orleans started picking up on, I mean, it, mm. I don't think it was even a year. Like the landlord started getting like rental requests from people who did cemetery tours like pretty early on. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, they started would stop at like the Omni or at 826 North Rampart and tell the story of Bo and the Butcher <clears throat> or the Rampart Street Murder House. And, you know, it's like it happened to real people for like really sad reasons. It's like fucking 15 years ago. That's it. It's not yeah. 15 years ago. And so some of them would talk about like how the voodoo temple underneath like caused him to be possessed by demons no. and that you know he that's what made him do what he did some of them said that he ate her there was no there was no evidence in the coroner's report that he had done that but um you know one of the neighbors in the apartments nearby had said that they had actually rented that flat once for a very short time and that they were very uncomfortable there and that they mm-hmm. had actually hired a priest to bless that apartment and still had to move out of it. Oh, wow. So they, there is maybe some weird juju in the apartment, but they didn't really live there. You know, they, right. they didn't even really move in before all this right. happened. Um, so 826 North Rampart is now the Bloody Mary New Orleans Haunted Museum. The voodoo priestess that used to have her temple under there has moved to another location. And this, this other lady has opened up this, this museum and it's like a quote unquote voodoo store, but it's got like haunted dolls and creepy stuff and just all the paraphernalia that, yeah, you know, people right. want to find in New Orleans. Um, and she does her own tours, the lady who owns that. She does seances and she has set it up so that you can go upstairs into Zach and Annie's apartment and look at their apartment for a fee. And it's the campiest bullshit. I mean, they've got like a Chucky bride and groom dolls sitting on the landing. I mean, she's got like the picture from the New York Times in a frame with like fake blood spatters on it. And she's got the I'm sure the tub's probably the same tub, but she's got like a range and a fridge that are like with like props and stuff on them. Not like not fake body parts or anything, but like like, uh, like piles of money on the range and all this. And she Mm -hmm. says that it's the original stuff. 90% 90% sure that's not true. No, piles he was, of money. He, he was already money. saying, well, no, I mean, I don't think the range oh. and fridge are actually their range and fridge either. Right. Like, I think that, I think the landlord had to as... get rid of them to try and rent the place again. Well, I'm sure they had to, well, evidence. Too. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. And I don't think you recover from, anyway, you don't recover a fridge from having like a person's body shoved in it, right. whether you kept it at 60 degrees or not. But, um, so, you know, this, this stuff kind of pisses me off when I read it the first time. I'm like, God, like exploitative, on, right? Yeah. But, but then you're you like, know, and what then I'm like, do? but it's just poor showmanship. I mean, come on, a bride right. of Chucky. Right. But um, then I listened to this Risk episode again that like mm-hmm. started me off in this whole thing that I had never heard this story before. And Dennis Mann, who was Addie's friend and former roommate, had told this story. Really, it was about her. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, the book I read was all about Zach and Zach's problems and Zach's stuff. But this was about Addie and and somebody who really loved her mm-hmm. and knew that she was like Troubled. dangerous person to yeah. be around, like who had to like m- move on from her, but still loved her, you know. Mm-hmm. And he he'd said that when he saw the newspaper reports, he knew, you know, at first it didn't have an identification. And when he found out it was her, 
He was shocked at how gruesome it was, but he wasn't surprised that it was how Annie went. Mm. Right. And, um, you know, she always said she was going to leave a pretty corpse, you know, that she was going to die early. And then he thought, he, he says he thought to himself, Addie is going to be on a haunted history tour. Right. Mm-hmm. And she would fucking love that. Ah. Right. So I guess it's not that bad because the campiness is like right up her alley. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, that is the story of Zach and Addie and a really, really sad, really fucking disturbing murder in New Orleans 15 years great, ago. Great storytelling, wow. man. Mm. I was there through the whole thing. It was really good, even though it's really sad. And it's bad. sad. I know. This mm. is part of why I couldn't get my mood up today. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah. Excellent. Y'all well enjoyed done. being depressed too. <laughs> well done. Uh, it, it's probably, well, I know it's one of many stories on Katrina. Yeah. Um, that I've looked into. Like, look, I didn't look into that one, but there's a couple others that are just, I can't, I can't bring myself to do them yet because mm-hmm. they're just so bad. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, one of the things that it points out in these books and articles and everything is how you know, the suicide rate just skyrocketed Mm -hmm. in New Orleans. The crime rate just went up and up and up and up. And it's just like the Mm -hmm. whole city was Mm -hmm. just in despair. You know, everybody had been left behind. Everybody felt left behind. Right. And yeah, it's just, Mm. it it was hard to be healthy. I'm sure mentally healthy in New Mm -hmm. Orleans then. Right. So cheers to all y'all. Cheers to you. Cheers. Drink. 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 (laughs) Thanks, y'all, for listening. We appreciate you you so much. We love you. Love you. And uh, have a good night. Bye. Bye. Let me let you go now. Let's let you go now. Let us let you go now. It doesn't work with us. It does not. It works with let me let you go now. Let me let you go now. But it doesn't work with us. Yeah. We're in us. We got to think of something else. We are in us. Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs)